This is RDQI. So picture this. You're walking down the street and you see a $20 bill just lying there on the sidewalk. And you look around and there's not a soul in sight. How rich do you have to be to just walk right by that $20 bill and not even think twice about it? I love debating this question with my fellow accountants. Hey, you know what? Sometimes I like to think about math for fun. Don't judge me. But I was seeking a fresh perspective on this question, and Ryan didn't disappoint. We get into a very interesting discussion about the value of time. Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? All I know is that if time is money, I'm all out of time. We here at RDQI know that you have a choice of where to spend your time, and we thank you for spending it with us. Petsdeliver.com. Get cats now. That's right. Right now. Petsdeliver.com. We got all sorts of cats. Brown cats. Blue cats. Cats with spots. Cats that are colors you never even knew of. Petsdeliver.com. Call meow. Ryan, if you see a $20 bill lying on the ground, how rich do you have to be to walk by that $20 bill without picking it up? Right. So how how much monetary wealth do you need to have where it wouldn't be worth your time to pick up a $20 bill? Um, well, I'm a total non-expert on this matter um, because finance is hardly a word in my vocabulary. Um, honestly, I would, I would imagine that if you're making... 150k plus a year in terms of salary plus any you know shall we say uh passive income you receive i would say at that point yeah it's probably not even worth your time and mainly why i say that is not like some technical answer like yeah i've done the calculations i think this is where it's at but i think if you're someone who's making 150k in salary at a job and you also have passive income coming into your life through, say, real estate investments, bond, and I mean, whatever investment you have. I have a feeling that your perspective on money is that you don't really need it so much as you're using what you currently have. But I'm really curious, because I know you probably have a great answer for this, as the CPA in the room here. How rich do you need to be to not have to pick up that $20 bill? Well, let me fire back at you. If you, or maybe you are, making 150 grand a year, would you truly pass by a $20 bill? No, it'd probably depend on my mood. Honestly. (laughs) My calculations of what my time is worth wouldn't affect that decision in that moment. Because it would be trivial. I mean, come on, bending over to pick a $20 bill. Let's see. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. Okay, three seconds. You know, like if it was raining outside, it'd be like, ah, I don't want to do it because it's, it's going to get me, you know, I'm going to get more wet by being in the rain longer. But even then, three seconds of time to pick up 20 bucks when the minimum wage in this country is well below $15 an hour. I mean, come on, how could you not pick that up? Well, I don't think Warren Buffett would because Warren Buffett made close to $13 billion in 2019. <laughs> And that equates to 37 million a day, one, one and a half million an hour, 
26K a minute and $428 per second. So if it takes you three seconds to pick it up. But really quick, are you saying when you break it down to per second, is that like 365 days a year, 24 hours a day you're talking about? Yeah. So if you amortize the the total amount that he made in a year, amortize that over all the seconds available in that year. Okay, so he made $428 a second. So you're not even limiting it to his waking life. Jeez, that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's Warren Buffett. Most of that comes from passive income, which you make in your sleep. (laughs) Good point, good point. So wait, how many many dollars a second did he earn last year? 428. Okay. So if Warren Buffett spent three seconds to pick up a dollar bill, theoretically, he lost out on, you know, $1,100, which is, is, you know, it's a thought experiment, right? Because the guy makes money just doing whatever he wants. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really, I mean, he does work for his money, but (laughs) right. He didn't, he didn't accidentally happen upon it. That's for sure. Right. It's not like there's an opportunity cost where, you know, he picked down and missed out on $1,200. Which, um, actually, could you explain opportunity cost? Because I know that's going to be pretty important to this conversation. Yeah. So, so opportunity cost, it's a, oh boy, is it an economic term or a finance term? I forget. Um, it all starts to blur together after a while. Um, it, it basically is defined as the cost of a decision or making a choice to the exclusion of another choice, right? So, if you, if you're, let's say you're a freelance uh, graphic designer and you pass up a job that would have paid you $500 because you wanted to go uh, on vacation, your mm. opportunity cost of that decision is $500 because you chose to spend your time one way to the exclusion of something that would have made you money. Like that's the finance definition, but you can, you can use that to apply to, to other things too. Um, you know, friendships, for instance, if you have two friends and you decide to see one of them, your opportunity cost is you don't get to see the other one. Which is a, it's a pretty simple concept. And I think people internally think of it all the time, but probably don't annotate it in their life as the opportunity cost on this birthday party decision is just too high for me. Right? No, no. Only, only, uh, my fellow finance nerds who do this thought experiment with me. I mean, I, I've, I've literally sat in boardrooms and, um, with six people talking about this question for an hour. (laughs) Okay. So let's assume that's how I have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But man, you also cook a mean dinner, you know? So Dave, in this situation, this hypothetical, there's an individual who works only 40 hours a week, only 50 weeks a year. You know, they get two weeks off for vacation. They only put in a 40-hour week shift. They earn a salary. How big does that salary need to be for that person not to pick up a $20 bill? An act which would only take five seconds to do during your work day. I'm doing calculation in the background. So, um, 40 hours a week at, at 50 weeks, years, 2000 hours, uh, 2000 times 60 minutes times 60 seconds gives us 7.2 million seconds working seconds in a year. Okay. So uh, I got to do the algebra. Solve for X, um, solve for X. 
<laughs> shouldn't you uh you shouldn't really make me do this on a live podcast this could be very embarrassing it is a little Good thing cruel. nobody knows who i am it <laughs> wait you're my finance guy aren't you that guy who couldn't figure out algebra and, <laughs> you did my taxes yeah. last year um <laughs> uh, so it's okay so x is the annual amount you need to make um so x over 7.2 million is 20 dollars um so that's our break even point so that is 144 million so you would na- need to make 144 million dollars a year for it to not be worth it Oh, sorry. That's assuming that it takes one second to pick up a $20 bill. But oh. <laughs> close <Right>. enough. <laughs> close, close enough. Sounds good. So you have to be astronomically wealthy from a yearly income perspective. And we're just talking about someone who, like, during their work day, couldn't afford to pick up a $20 bill. Yeah, there's there's two ways. Like the other the other angle, and believe me, you can actually spend a lot of time talking about this question. But the other the other angle is how like twenty dollars. How much of an increase in your wealth does twenty dollars represent in terms like expressed as a percent? So you know, if you have a hundred dollars to your name and you pick up twenty, that's a you know, a 20% increase in your, in your wealth, that's substantial. You're definitely going to pick that up. But if you're Bill Gates and you have $80 billion net worth, $20, you know, you have to go to the seventh decimal place to see the impact. Yeah. And Bill Gates wouldn't use a $20 bill to light a cigar. He'd be like, where's my, where's my Benjamin, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, there's a really funny, um, Oprah segment where, and it's also a great arrested development gag, but, uh, Bill Gates, Oprah was asking, um, Bill Gates what the price of common items were and he got most of them right. But I think it was a box of macaroni and cheese. And he said like $19 (laughs) in arrested development too. And so what could a gallon of milk cost? $12, but you know, at a certain point, money is irrelevant because there aren't enough things in the world for Bill Gates to buy and run out of money. Sure. I mean, well, theoretically he could try to buy a country or something like that, but I understand what you mean. Right. Right. Any reasonable human would have a limit, right? Yeah. I, you know, at what point does money have no meaning to you? You know, and, and the, you know, even if you have a billion dollars, if you want to buy a yacht, you're going to think about the price at what, how much money do you have to have to point to a yacht and tell your guy, Hey, buy that for me. And it's, the price is irrelevant because it will not make a dent in your net worth. Right. Right. Cause to your example, if you have a hundred dollars and you see $20, it's an increase in 20% of wealth that's available to you. If you have a hundred billion dollars, a hundred million dollars is a, it's a drop in the bucket for a yacht. Be like, sure, whatever. No big deal. It's, it's like Bill Gates sneeze. He sneezes out yachts. Basically he could, he could afford to at least. <laughs> yeah. A hundred million, 500 million irrelevant. Right. But yeah. Okay. But so for the average Joe, right. For you and me, I mean, you and me are decently well off, but not like, you mean this podcast isn't geared towards the $80 billion. <laughs> asset holders? It's not our target market. 
So that, was, that was my understanding. Oh, uh, we need to have a meeting then. Um, <laughs> but w- until that meeting happens, listeners, um, this concept kind of brings up a big question, though, of like, because there's a this phrase that everyone uses that time is money, right? And so we're talking about how much time or how much money do you need to have where it doesn't, it's not worth your time to pick up free money, essentially. It's not free. You have to <laughs> bend over and pick it up. That does cost you a couple of calories of energy. It's not a big deal though, right? But at some point, I guess maybe people's perspective of time is changed in part by their wealth. Would you agree or disagree with that? I don't know. Um, I think it can be, but I think perception is one thing. But I mean, you know, money, money, time is is like money in that it really is a currency, but it, it has key differences, right? Like you have a fixed amount. You can't change that amount. You don't know that amount. You have an idea, but you don't know. Um, and you have a, like you, no matter what, you say you have to spend 24 hours every day. Right, right. You don't have a choice. And so, and so, Time really shouldn't be different for different people based on how much wealth they have. Yeah, but but it totally is because I think from at least a psychological perspective, an emotional perspective, if you can, if you are rich enough, they're like, oh, I just totaled my car. I was on my way to work to this important meeting. I totaled my car, right? It got in a wreck. It was bad. This car will never be driven again. If you have enough wealth that picking up $20 isn't worth your time, that is not a problem to you. You know, A, you're probably not driving the car. So you already just fired your driver who was driving the car, right? And you're buying a new vehicle. You're Actually, that individual probably isn't even buying the vehicle. They're delegating that out to someone else even. So there's ways yeah. to, if when you have wealth, to use that to delegate to other people to use their time for your good, which is kind of the same idea as, I don't know, working for any company and receiving a salary. No, that's true. I mean, people, you know, if you pay somebody to mow your lawn, you're paying somebody to mow your lawn because that's a good deal for you. It's a good deal. You know, whatever it is, $50 is worth the hour that you'll save. But for the person you're paying, that hour is worth $50. Right. And it's an opportunity for that person to earn income that is going to better their life. And, and obviously, we're assuming that everyone's being earnest and faithful in this situation, which obviously, let's not even get into it, but it's not always <laughs> the case. So, so I want to ask you this question, because I've asked an, all of my, my finance friends this question, um, and you get very financial answers. Um, is it possible to put a number on an hour, to value, to quantify how... how much an hour is worth. And and let me, before you answer that, let me kind of explain the financial answer to it. So if you are, it's a little bit more difficult if you're salaried, but let's, for, for sake of ease, let's take a freelancer, a freelancer consultant who goes to companies and tells them what to do and they bill $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then an hour of their time is worth $100 because they could 
work 24 hours a day. They could work every single hour and they'd make $100 for that hour every time. So when they go and watch Netflix instead of work, the opportunity cost, it, you, can, you can kind of, I mean, this is, but you can, you can make the argument that that hour of Netflix costs you $100. Yeah, okay, so on paper, 100% agree with you. In real life, that doesn't make any sense. Because you can't work 24 well, hours a day. Well, it's, but, yeah. It's not okay, possible. But, At least not consecutive days. I'm sure you could do a 24-hour stint. I know plenty of people who do 24-hour stints. One question you should never ask your surgeon is, how much sleep have you had? Because the answer is usually going to be less than three hours, right? Because they're involved in 24-hour shifts. So it's possible, but it's highly unrealistic because the quality of the work is really what determines, in this case, a freelancer, which I am a freelancer, so I'm a little bit aware of this, or I have been a freelancer, so I'm a little bit aware of this dynamic. The quality of the work is usually what someone is trying to sell on, not the amount of work that they do, because that quality of work gives you a better rate per hour, right? Typically. Yeah, yeah. Let's say you can you can get, you know, between 90 and 100% quality and you can do 3 consulting jobs in a day. But one day you decide to go to the beach so you only got one consulting job done. Gotcha. That beach trip cost you $200. Absolutely. Yep. But there's also you're not factoring in some other benefits though to this cost. I mean, rest and relaxation. Well, right. So here's here's the financial aspect is you, you are it's it's costing you $200, but you are investing in something else. Right? So instead of it's, you know, if you think about it in business terms and, you know, you're going to have to stop me on this business train, but just, you know, let me paint the picture really quick. If you know, businesses when they make money, what do they do with it? I mean, they can they can pay down their operating costs. Um, they can invest in some new, you know, technologies, R&D, and what you're doing when you're foregoing a revenue opportunity for something else is you're saying, you know what, I'm going to invest this somewhere else. So you go to the beach and like you said, you're investing in your peace of mind, your relaxation, your enjoyment. Um, So it's not like you're losing that money, but you're investing it in something that you don't necessarily know the value of. And, And the interesting thing to think about is, and I, I mean, I will be the first to admit that I make some pretty poor investments with my time from time to time, no pun intended. (laughs) Well, we've all been there where you've finished that series of shows and you realize, wow, I just spent 10 hours of however many days it took you to watch 10 hours. What am, what am I doing with myself? We've all been there, Dave. Absolutely. Do you think there's value in trying to to think about time in this way? Entirely. Yeah. Um, so harping on the consultant aspect, because you know, I mean, you used to help me run my business. I was a consultant, right? And um, the hardest thing to know is how to how much to bill yourself for, you know? And there's a variety of different ways I would go about doing that. That's not what this podcast is about, though. So considering what your time is worth from a business perspective, where you basically get to set your rate, because as a consultant, 
you can turn down any work you want to. Now, you might not eat that night, but that's a decision you still get to make. So, but you have to kind of trade off like, well, I I need work to make income, obviously. But obviously, I think my time is going to be worth more than that person who I want to work for thinks is worth. So, you have this middle ground, and that's what essentially, you know, bargaining becomes. And then you start... I mean, essentially, you can think of a consultant, especially in my role as a consultant, was also a full-time sales job because I was representing myself in the market, so I had to sell myself. Mm -hmm. So you also start to learn when you're selling anything, you also start to learn that there are certain deals, certain avenues of revenue that just aren't worth your time. Yes, you will make some money, but it won't be worth your time. And the best way to sum it up is, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Yeah. So if it's a super dry lime, are you going to get much out of it? No. Then why even use the energy to squeeze it? Why not devote the energy somewhere else? And that's got to be one of the hardest things to ascertain as an individual who's working as a contractor in an open market. It's really difficult to figure out. And it's even more difficult when you're, let's say you're not a part of the workforce. Let's say you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and your work is taking care of a family. You can't quantify the value of that. I mean, I'm sure some accountant could. But I think that account would also miss some factor because you can't quantify every factor of life, as we've talked about ad nauseum at this point. (laughs) So how would you, Uh, you know, like a homemaker, how would you value their time? uh, Just really quick, what you were saying about, um, you know, trying to identify what revenue stream is worth pursuing. There's a great book called The 80-20 Principle by Richard Koch. Oh, and it's so true. K-O-C-H. The 80-20 rule is... Key, yeah. I mean, honestly, here's the book I'll save you from buying it. Sorry, Richard. Um, 80% of your time is devoted to 20% of your clients, 20% of your time is devoted to 80% of your your revenue. It's like find that 20% and put all your energy there because it's 80% of your book of business. And I can tell you from personal experience, it rings true, it's so true. Yeah, it really is. Um, as soon as you, as soon as you start thinking about that, you'll see it everywhere in your life. It's, it's one of those, Mm -hmm. uh, but going back to your question of how do you, so, so this is where I disagree with my finance colleagues and it, it has to do with how you value wasted time. Because if you think about time in terms of investments and opportunity costs and... And And I love that you already evaluated it by calling it wasted time. (laughs) Uh, I have devoted an undisclosed amount of time, amount of thought (laughs) to this problem. Um, so, So the whole... the. When you when you start quantifying and, and applying numbers, um, especially expressed in terms of dollars, to this problem, then you get to a incentive where your time, every hour of every day, has to be. If you are running yourself like a business, it has to be worthwhile. Um, I don't want to say productive because you know, rest and relaxation isn't really productive, but it helps you be more efficiently productive in your productive hours. Right. Um, but I, I don't think that, I think you can run into a lot of 
problem. I, I think you won't live the best life that you can if you think about every hour of every day expressed as a dollar amount. And wasted time is my favorite example of this. So when we were younger, we, according to this model, wasted, squandered, made some really bad investments in time. One thing that you and I did was we used to have a little thing that we did in high school called the 24-hour circle. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you're bringing this up. Keep going. (laughs) Keep going. And we would literally make a circle out of couches in the backyard and... There was only one rule. You couldn't leave the circle for 24 hours. Yep. That's obviously, I mean, I'm, you know, people are going to look at us like, you weirdos. That's it. I'm done listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's an extreme example of something that everybody, well, not every, okay, most people had in their childhood of like aimless hours spent, you know, hanging out by the creek and skipping stones. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, what do you, you're a kid, you have all the energy in the world and you're not using it for anything. Like there's, you know, you, you're burning energy doing this. It's, it's really, it's a wasted hour. Um, but I think everybody listening and I know you and I would, I, you know, those were some of the happiest memories of my life. I wouldn't see that as wasted at all. But how do you put a dollar value to that and that's where i think this just breaks down i mean from my perspective you can't it's invaluable it's something that can't be communicated through money in the sense that like you don't drive up to you know you don't go to your favorite coffee shop and or wherever you get coffee and go in and be like all right uh i would like a small coffee and you've never heard the breeze to be like okay that'll cost you two minutes And you just like text over two minutes of your life. You don't. It's just not how it works. It's an exchange of monetary value. But the key there is monetary, not value. It's not an exchange of value. It's an exchange of monetary value. Now, there's other values associated with this exchange, which is to say that monetary value isn't the only way to diagnose the world. 100%. I I have written down money does not equal value. And, you know, you know, I've talked about this before. Everybody has something that they spend money on their, their splurge or their luxury that somebody else would never in a million years. You know, my dad's big car guy. Like to me, I'm going to buy the cheapest car that runs, but people will spend hundred thousand dollars on, on a car. Like, is it a hundred thousand dollars? You know, my car is $3,000. <laughs> Did they get $97,000 of additional value in their Tesla? Like, no. But to them, yes. To me, no. Right. Right. Absolutely. Which, man, your dad's car, by the way. God. I can't wait to talk to, to Garrett about value systems, but that's that's another. Sure, 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 sure. Well, I mean, and let's, let's talk about that really briefly. So what you're saying is you're in your value system. You don't really value a car beyond the fact that it gets you from point A to point B, which is for it's most a, people, it's a, tool. it's a tool, right? It's a, you don't invest in a car. You throw away money in a car that'll eventually net you maybe 10% of what you paid for it. Right. But it enables you to go to work and it enables you to go visit family, et cetera, et cetera. 
So it's a tool for you. I was trying to make this, you know, neat little metaphor connection between um, time and currency. Like, is time a currency? Um, and it doesn't quite work because it, I think it is, it shares some similarities, but it has some significant differences. Um, but one thing that it, in, in which it's very common, um, boy, one thing <laughs> it shares with money as currency is the idea of scarcity, right? There's a, there's a great movie and I forget who's in it and even the title. So that's super helpful, Dave. Um, where every you have a brand, a tattoo on your arm, and it's how many hours or minutes you have left, and you can you have the ability to use time as currency. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what movie you're talking about. I haven't seen it, and I can't remember the name, but I'm aware of it. <laughs> um, but it, the scarcity. The limited, the fact that we all have limited time is what makes time valuable. It, you know, and I, I want to come back to this question later, but I'll tee it up now. You, you know, immortality, if you could live forever, would the time matter to you? Like, if time doesn't matter, if you have all the time in the world, I think it sort of cheapens the experience of life. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the knowledge of the scarcity of time diminishes your ability to enjoy the time that you have. And here's what I mean by that. When we were in our teen years, yeah, we knew that our time was limited, but we still had a big pile of it. And so we didn't really understand. We we knew, but it was so far in the future that it didn't matter. It didn't matter how we spent our hours because we had a big old pile of them. Right. And you know, those are some of the happiest memories when you can waste an hour sitting on the field with your friends talking about nothing. As you get older and things happen in your life that make you really understand a little bit more viscerally that time is in fact limited and scarce, you have a desire to really enjoy the hours that you have a little bit more, but there's that knowledge or that pressure inside your own head to enjoy the hours. And because you're thinking about enjoying the hour that you are currently living, you are somewhat distracted from living that moment fully. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, that flow state or that no mind state when you can just be and exist purely in the moment happened a lot when you were younger and it happens less as you get older. It's just harder to really lose yourself in a moment, at least for me. Maybe there are some people out there that... I mean, I would say most of us make life choices that lead to responsibility, which distracts you from being able to do this as effectively. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, you could be a total beach bum you know, dude who doesn't have a job, just surfs all day. And you're just constantly living in the moment. Most people don't choose to live that life though. Cause you sacrifice a lot, like a roof over your head or good hygiene, you know? My question to you is that, and this is where the metaphor breaks down, but maybe it doesn't. If, if scarcity doesn't exist for you, um, in terms of money, right? So if you're born into a billion dollar fortune, money has no meaning for you. 
But I think we all kind of understand, you know, there's so many stories of, of, um, you know, up by their bootstraps, self-made billionaires whose children are just the worst Sure, because money has no, has never had value to them. They can do whatever they want with their money and they'll have, it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But is scarcity in time, is that what makes life worth living or given the choice? Well, let me rephrase this question. If I had a potion that would turn you immortal, would you drink it? Nope. In a heartbeat. No way. Do you think that you would be... How many people do you think would would drink it? Um, Not zero. No, no. There would certainly be people drinking this potion. I don't know. 50-50. But the reason I say no is... An immortal life, seeing everyone you know in your current life die, and seeing the generation that follows them die, and the generation that follows them die, over and over and over. I mean, it sounds... Well, but let's say it was like the COVID vaccine. This potion's available at Walgreens. Uh, Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Sure. We're switching analogies, though, here. This isn't giving you immortality. It's giving you a somewhat better percentage chance of not getting infected or... You know, well, no, 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 no. I, no, I mean, the immortality potion is available at Walgreens. So, I, so I'm trying to get to the the conclusion of does scarcity lend value to time? Uh, so yes. yeah, the seeing people die is not really like where I wanted to go. Gotcha, gotcha. Let me let me redo this then. Is scarcity hmm, scarcity with time? So should I keep going so down I, the potion route? Or just be like, no, yeah, and leave so, it so if you and everybody you knew, like if all of a sudden we developed as a, as a human species, the technology to keep us alive forever, you know, would you line up the next day or would you say, you know what, you guys do whatever you want, but I'm going to clock out at 90 or whenever I go. Yeah, I'd still clock out. I mean, and the answer would be like a complexity of variables that take into the in account the situation in its entirety, which is way too tedious for this conversation. But I think there's an incredible value to knowing that, um, to our understanding of the cycle of life, right? We all know that you're going to be born, you're going to live for some duration, and you're going to die. You know, there's only two things we're certain of the, in this world, and that is death and taxes, right? So... I think if you remove that fact, if you removed our ability to stop living, I, well, A, humanity would just be entirely different, but B, I don't think many people would be satisfied with it. Like if it was like a potion, like you said, like at the drop of a hat, we can switch over to this new way of living. I, I think it would breed just as many problems as our current life already has. So I would say in the long run for humanity, it'd be net neutral at best to have an infinite lifespan. And of yeah. course, I'm just, I'm po- I have no idea. I'm postulating here, but I think, I think everyone knows, well here, Einstein said it pretty brilliantly when he was trying to explain the theory of relativity. He said an hour long, he's like a five minute lecture from a boring professor feels like an hour. 
And one hour with a beautiful woman feels like five minutes. So I think we intrinsically know that there, our perception of time itself depends on what we're doing. And if we had unlimited time, there wouldn't be as much joy in seizing the day. Because you know you could just do it tomorrow. You know, I, I love to travel. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And mm-hmm. there are so many places in the world that I want to see. And I know I will not get to all of them. Right. So the ones that I do get to, there's a certain... There's a certain awe, there's a certain gravity to that, to, to, every, to every trip that I take to somewhere new. But if you can live forever, theoretically, you would get to a point where you would have done everything. There's nothing new anymore. There's nothing even, you know, traveling to... Fiji for the first time is beautiful. Traveling there the tenth time is probably beautiful. Traveling there the ten millionth time, like ah, here it is, beautiful Fiji, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's a weird, that's a weird thought to grapple with. Um, will we, you know, given immortality, would we eventually just tire of living? Hmm. It would be stale. I mean, that's why life is so vibrant, is because we know it won't end. That's why certain professions or people that put themselves in certain positions thrive there because they know that they're on the edge. I'm talking like, imagine, I don't know, a fighter pilot flying into a combat situation. They know there's a very good likelihood they're going to die or could die at least. And that, that knowledge biochemically changes you as a human, right? You have a different biochemical response. And... I would argue that we all feel most alive in those moments. And the only reason we do is because our bodies know to value that time and say, you might not have many more seconds, so you might as well be going full speed for the time you do have. Now, obviously, you can't run full speed for your whole life. You need to rest. But we all know those moments, the thrill of battle, whatever realm that takes in your life. You know, it might be staring down your boss and saying, no, I need a raise. You know, it's going to be terrifying. But on the outside, if, hey, if you get the raise, you'll feel good. But even if you don't, you know that you could stand up and say something, right? And even just that little thrill is acknowledging the fact that you won't always have an opportunity to do that. And that's why I think to argue, to maybe not close out the point, but to define my understanding of it, that's why we need to have a, a life that ends. That's why immortality would be very bland and tasteless. And that's why currency needs to have a controlled total amount. Mm-hmm. Gotta have scarcity. You know, there's there's such truth to the trope that uh, when when you land, when you skydive, or when you, you're on a roller coaster, you know, the trope is, I feel so alive. Right. <laughs> you know, confronting your mortality in a way that you don't on a day-to-day basis. You know, but I mean, how often do you think about death on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Unless you're a mortician, it's probably not a daily habit. So we've been talking about value in economic terms, or at least mathematical terms, right? We're, we've, we value that we can quantify. But I think we're running into, I think, I mean, time, it's 
there, there are hours that are silly to quantify. So how do you compare value between things when you can't quantify what that value is? Mm-hmm. 